Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike, and joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, dinner guests. Yeah, I'm doing all right, Mike. How the hell are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, we're heading into, I guess, like pre-spooky season, right, with September coming up. It's not quite October, but I guess September is like the transitional month. Football, I starting, suppose. all that. It's uh, it's Halloween all year for us. I, it's <laughs> still only, hot as hell out here. Anyway. I have more decorations in my house. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I swear every year here is different. Sometimes, like, as soon as September 1st hits, we start putting them up. But then last year, it took a little longer. Anyways, uh, also with us, as always, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, what's going on? Always great to be here. All right. Well, we're going to put that to the test in a second. Um, We are covering a movie that uh, released in the theaters this past Friday, and uh, it is The Invitation. Um, well, I guess for stars, I don't even remember this getting a ton of, uh, promotion. Um, I, I knew, like, just enough to know it was coming out. I probably had seen a trailer uh, some previous time I was at the theater, but other than that, like, I, I, I don't know. I didn't know a whole lot about it. I had almost forgot, like, when it was coming out, but, uh, that doesn't always, you know, that's not always an indication of the quality of the movie, but it just seems like this one kind of had a random just release i don't know i don't even know if i'm explaining it clearly but uh in invitation from well i was gonna say from 2022 but i would hope so uh pg-13 an hour and 44 minutes all right a young woman is courted and swept off her feet only to realize a gothic conspiracy is afoot okay at least that's short and sweet so general thoughts on the invitation Mr. Venom, go. All right, I'll start with some positives about the film. Um, It's a beautiful film. It looks really nice. Obviously, you know, you've got this beautiful Victorian, almost modern slash Victorian uh, mansion, you know, out in England. So it's a beautiful setting, lots of beautiful grounds around the property. I thought the performances were all fairly competent other than one, and unfortunately the one is our lead actor, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, You know, score was fine, um, and I was on board for most of this film. Um, As you guys know, I don't watch trailers, I don't read synopsis before I go and watch a film. So I was on board for this for about halfway through. Once we got the first reveal of who our who our hosts were i kind of expected it i'm like okay yeah that 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 goes that goes without saying kind of uh more so if you saw the trailer cuz i saw the tra- i watched the trailer after i saw the film and i'm like this is why i don't watch trailers because the trailer fucking gives away exactly what's happening other than the second plot twist if you will or at least for me since i didn't watch the trailers we get the second plot twist, and I just completely lost it. It was the stupidest fucking plot twist you could possibly give me. Um, So the long and the short of it is, I do not enjoy this movie, folks. I was on board for about half of it. Beautiful set design, like I said. uh, Natalie Emanuel is, you know, beautiful as always. I am a big Game of Thrones fan, so it was great to see her again. Um, And... 
it, it's just as the movie passed the halfway mark and it just kept going, it just felt to me like it was getting just dumber and dumber and more derivative and more pedantic. It just it was just awful. I, I just by the end of the movie, I was laughing and really, I was only laughing so that I wouldn't walk out of the theater mad because I, I was legitimately like upset with this film. Um, it's a pretty dull story. It's underwhelming. It's not a good use of the underlying story. Like there is a good story buried in here somewhere, but it's not the one that we got with this movie. Um, I'm trying to be as ambiguous as possible for those who maybe haven't seen the trailer. If you've seen the trailer, then you kind of know what you're up against. They don't spell it out in so many words, but there's plenty of clues throughout plenty of close-ups on people's mouths in the trailer. So it's fairly obvious what we're up for. So, you know, even though I hadn't watched the trailer and I was enjoying it for the first half, there was some good mystery. Uh, like I said, there, there was a little bit of bloodshed, not really a lot, but, you know, at least some people were legitimately getting offed. Um, you know, the help was uh, being picked off one by one. So that was keeping the mystery alive for the first half of the film. But then, like I said, once uh, the movie lays its cards on the table, it's just dull, underwhelming, and I, I dare say borderline stupid. Uh, I just, yeah, I hated the third act of this film. Just, it's such a misuse of uh, Natalie Emanuel. And honestly, um, uh, who is it? Sean Pertwee, who I absolutely adore. I love him. He's probably the best part of this movie. And he couldn't save this movie remotely, could not remotely save this movie. So I'm, I'm just going to say this is a below average uh, blank movie because I'm, st I'm still not going to say it. If Mike and Don want to say it in the, in the spoiler free section, they're welcome to. Because like I said, if you've seen the trailer, I assume you know what this movie's about. But on the off chance that you guys are like me and you don't watch a trailer, I won't say anything. But I also don't recommend the film to much of anyone. So that's about it for me. All right, let's move on over to Don. What did you think of or the invitation? Uh, yeah, um, uh, a lot of people have rightly claimed out the. This is one of the more modern, uh, more enjoyable modern classics that uh, you know the genre has produced. I, I, I love the setup. You know, you've got four great group of friends, or you know, all of the meeting interactions at the beginning of the dinner are all very fun. <laughs> Everything going on with uh, you know the secret little uh, hints and clues that are going on around them and why they're all meeting together just it drags the evening on as more and more tension gets revealed. Okay, I'm gonna stop the ruse right now. If I... Yeah, yeah, I'm like. Mike, am I going to say something, or are you? <laughs> I I was just waiting for, like, Venom's uh, what-the-hell meter to hit high enough that he just interrupts Dawn. <laughs> yeah, um, if you haven't guessed by that, that's uh, my thoughts on the, the beginning of The Good Invitation, because it's been a month, and I want to start talking about a good film here. So, um, oh, Jesus Christ, where do I start with this thing? Um, PG-13... Really? Really? We're in this day and age where a hardcore horror audience is getting a PG-13 horror film? Jeez. I mean, I don't have any real... Just, it, I, I don't care either way. But for a horror audience, which I, I assume you're trying to market this towards based on the trailer, because... After seeing the movie, I, I did go back and watch the trailer as well, just because I was confused as to who the hell would want to watch this thing. 
<laughs> and it's it plainly geared towards a horror audience, as Venom said. There's too many close-ups and there's too many shots of, ooh, something mysterious is lurking in the corners of everything. It, as much as the film itself wants us to believe that this is a kind of gothic romance, it's really not in, in terms of where the, the, the marketing is geared towards. So, for, to me, for the film is completely mismarketed where you're trying to make this... You're trying to hype this up as some kind of thrilling horror film, but then you're attaching a PG-13 rating onto it because you're spending the first hour and some odd minutes building up this gothic romance between the two. And frankly, this felt like every single time I've walked in on the Hallmark Channel where when my parents are at home during Christmas vacation. I, I mean, I, I can't tell the difference between what goes on here and what goes on in those films. I mean, this... I can't imagine a genuine horror fan who looks at Evil Dead or Return of the Living Dead or Halloween or anything like that to look at this and think, ooh, this looks interesting. And you're marketing it towards them in the complete wrong, completely wrong way. I, I know we're not supposed to, you know, go trailer and do that sort of thing, but it, it, it's just one of the many faults in this. I mean, it's just completely uninteresting. I, I, I do agree. I, I think there is an interesting idea here involving some, you know, meeting a parent, meeting, you know, the, meeting a family that you don't know, and there's some kind of dark secret involved. I mean, again, I, I'm not trying to spoil it. That's not what we're here. But that's a workable concept, and you can do something with that but the way this goes about it it's so lazy and it's so uninteresting and it just gets dumber I, I mean Venom's completely right on this where the third act of this is just completely dull and uninteresting and just filled with cliche after cliche if you haven't figured it out by t 10 minutes in I, I, I don't know what's wrong with you uh, you know either <laughs> You haven't watched enough films, which, you, you know, uh, allow us to point you to some better films, if that's the case, or your brain is an absolute dome, because there is no way on earth anyone with any amount of experience can't figure out what's going on 15 minutes, you know, 10, 15 minutes into this, if you haven't figured it out, your brain is either a bowling ball, or you, you just haven't watched enough films, which I can... You, understand, you know, I mean, not everybody, you know, has 30 years of experience like we do. So, I mean, if that's the case, like I said, we can point you into the, into better films, but if you're still haven't figured it out, then you, your, your brain is just a bullet, you know, it's <laughs> uh, wrinkle free brain. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where to go with this. I mean, uh. it's just so flat and un uninspiring that I'm a gothic horror fan. I absolutely love, you know, gothic castles and crypts and catacombs and dark secrets and all that kind of stuff. I, I mean, you know, old school gothic horror is one of my favorite styles of all time. The look of this thing matches that completely well. It, it looks fantastic. The house where everything takes place in looks great. I love, you know, the updated the updated style, the feel of everything. It, it looks great. The setup is 
workable, I guess. I, I mean, you know, you can do something with family members that have this strange secret attached to them, but... Uh, I, I want to talk about the good invitation. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's just go back to 2015. We'll do that one. <laughs> yeah. I... Uh, I, I I don't know where to go with this, Mike. <laughs> I guess you're going to me. That'll <laughs> that'll do it. Um, so, in recent episodes, it usually seems like one of us disagrees uh, with the other two, like whatever combination. This week, that's not happening. We're going three for three with <laughs> with the reaction to this awful movie. My first question, like, about halfway through it, you know, you start making assessments, not necessarily of, like, oh, if a twist is coming or whatnot, but sometimes the gears start spinning in your head. And the the main thing I was thinking was, like, who is this movie supposed to be for? Because it feels like a young adult romance movie, but they're not, like, you know, teenage... You know, they're not 18-year-olds in this movie. They're adults. So, like, I don't know who this is even marketed to with the limited marketing even had maybe that's why there was a lack of marketing but i i just get like kind of confused or even frustrated that like why is this movie not going to straight to like vod streaming when there's so much stuff that does go straight to vod that's way better way more interesting maybe it's because it's pg-13 they figure well that opens it up to a bigger potential audience, but who? Who's the audience for this? I don't know. It feels like it's right in that kind of middle zone where uh, hardcore horror fans aren't gonna like it, and then people who aren't horror fans, do they want to go see like a a very light <laughs> a light gothic romance? Like I, I I don't know really who they expected to turn out for this. Um, I actually think the lead, uh, I, I'm not sure what her name is, but I got it in front of me. It's Nathaniel, Nathaniel Emanuel. Natalie uh, Emanuel. Yeah, I thought she was good. She's beautiful. I'll give her that. And I would like to see her in other things because, you know, I, I think she was kind of wasted on a film like this, to be honest. And, you know, overall, I don't think the cast was bad. Uh, Sean, I, I, what's his name? Pertwee? Pertwee. He played Mr. Fields. Yeah, you know, he was a familiar face. He's always good at what he does, a nice addition to the movie. But for the most part, I mean, I feel like this was casted by your random 20-somethings you could find on, like, a WB show. You know, they're all overly attractive. But when I say attractive, it's like that that specific kind of, like, almost model-esque attraction. They look like they stepped off a GQ magazine shoot. Yeah, they look like right before the camera was rolling, someone was, like, literally chiseling them, you know? Like, that kind of beauty, I guess. Um, And, yeah, like, the plot twists, I mean, did no one really see that coming? And then I think think they attempted to kind of do, like, the... um, like the you don't belong here, kind of like the fish out of water and like the you're not really a part of us type subtext, but God, it was a mess. And yeah, I by the by the time this third act hit, I was just like, please end or like do some do something, do anything that isn't exactly what I'm expecting the movie to do, and it failed to even do that because I was like holding out a little bit of hope, like, well maybe they go completely different direction in this third act and that'll bring it up a little just to just to say hey they had the courage to 
do something different. And no, not really. I mean, it. it you expect every uh, beat that they hit to happen because that's it, it becomes painfully obvious 20 30 minutes in this movie doesn't want to do anything unexpected and they just want to make their safe little pg-13 and you know this isn't a uh a knock on all pg-13 horror but in this case it feels like it just wanted to be your normal run-of-the-mill movie and it was not good so uh, i'll leave it at that for the second what? Yeah, uh, definitely a waste of talent in this movie. Um, I'm not sure. The director, Jessica Thompson, I'm not sure if she's done much else. Um, oh, it looks like she's done a few things. Um, she, Oh, she's a second unit director on Handmaid's Tale, so I mean, that's something at least. The movies that she's directed I've never heard of, so I can't really speak on those. Handmaid's Tale is pretty good. But yeah, it just felt like... this was, and, and just... How hokey, it's so hokey, but without being hokey, if that makes sense. Like, you're looking at these aristocratic people and, you know, the, 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 the upper echelon of British, you know, uh, society. And then they bring in characters with names that we recognize. And I'm just like, what the, wait, what? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, once we get the reveal, it's like every character from the original book suddenly makes an appearance. <laughs> I can't get too into detail on this, but I was just, I was fully expecting certain other characters to show up as well. I'm like, just to, just to be the cherry on top of my shit Sunday, have even more stupid characters from the original book show up. And yes, I wouldn't say this movie's based on a book so much as the character is, but we'll get to that. Um, there, uh, yeah, this fucking movie. Yeah, there was one cool element, or I don't even know if I would say a cool element, but one thing I thought that was kind of interesting, and I don't even know if it's original, but I'll get into that in, in the spoilers, kind of like the setup of how everyone worked in this, I guess, town. Um, yeah, I hated it. I actually hated it. I'm like, are you kidding me? This, see, I can't even get into why I'm complaining. Uh, yeah, we'll wait for spoilers for that. Um... And the other, th wow. oh, the other thing I was wondering is like, were they trying to do like? <laughs> I was like, are they trying to do like a Meghan Markle royal family thing here? Because <laughs> like, uh, you know how like the whole oh she's never really been accepted as part of the royal family. I was like, they're not really trying to do that. It, it, at that point, Don was talking. That's what yeah. Don was talking about with the cliches of this movie is that you know a stranger in a strange land and she's instantly treated like shit by all the locals. It's like, really? You couldn't be original in any way? Except for the predictable one character, you know, who, or one or two that kind of side with her, if not feel bad for her. But No, I, I, I'm thinking he means more like they play the race card. Oh, no, oh, that's fine. No, no, no. I, I'm not trying to explain what Mike's talking about. I'm just saying. No, I, I'm just saying I thought Mike was talking. so cliche. That no, I thought just some of the cliches that I'm that I'm just railing against. Yeah, I'm not even really commenting on what Mike said there. Oh, I, I thought you. I thought Mike was mentioning more about the race card that they play. I don't. I don't even care. Honestly. Well, I. I, I mean the race. The race. The race card. Not necessarily fully, but kind of like the out. I mean, that's an element of it, but definitely like the outsider. Like you're not. You're not actually royalty. You're like connected by some little random reason but you're not really one of us um either could classism. be it's just class yeah classism more so yeah i would say yeah. oh okay yeah I know, I know what you mean now yeah I, I to me i i initially thought you were going with the race card is like why is that being brought up like i i thought the 
I don't think pick up on that. Like everybody at first, everybody was so welcoming to her. I think I think the only person who maybe made a comment about your types was that Victoria woman, the old, you know, the slightly older uh, woman in the in the group. We'll, we'll talk about who she is later. But she made a comment about, you know, your type. And I wasn't sure if she was talking about poor work, working class people or black people. So, I mean, I, I can uh, see where Don is maybe, you know, coming from and where Mike maybe was even coming from. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I didn't really pick up on any kind of uh, that that kind of discrimination, just the classes. Uh, I thought it was, I thought uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I think it was, I think it was multi-classism and what you're referencing, Venom, they might have, like, kind of walked up to the line of suggesting racism, but I don't think they fully yeah. committed to that. It was kind of like they just threw, threw in that one oh, part okay. of dialogue. So I, I, think we're, I, I think we all have the same issue. We're just approaching it with different different bats. <laughs> I just think it was sloppy overall because, yeah. you know, it, it, yeah. unlike something like a like a Jordan Peele where it's, it's a carefully crafted story, this one just feels like, oh, we'll just throw in some lines here and there. Just to make it sloppy, yeah, like it, it just. Uh... I, I I think we're attacking it. We're we're just attacking it with different objects. Yeah, for like sure. I said, Victoria does have that line in there. I th- I think the exact line is your types, but like I said, I don't think she was going for race there. I think she was just going because she's a poor artist. You know, Evie was a poor artist who can barely make her rent. I'm yeah. sure the people. I'm sure all the people at the estate knew this already because of all the research they did on her. But yeah, it just it, it just is so like literally as she's walking up, you can just pick out the people that are going to treat her like shit. Like, yeah, he's going to treat her like shit. She's going to treat her like shit. It's so just cliche and dumb. that. And, you know, and yeah. And, you know, right from the start, who's not being well, I would say someone introduced once she gets overseas, like, oh, gee, I know there's something sinister behind this guy. Like, come on, you guys like you're not even trying to be. Like no, ubiquitous about anything. It's just, uh, I, I, it's like it's almost like is this movie for people who have seen? I don't, I don't know. Is it like for me if I would have taken my daughter to it? Like I don't even know who this is supposed, who's supposed to watch this and be like, oh, what a great retell. No, no, it's not. And and the story too, like the actual plot points of what's happening in this movie. The setup is fine. But, like, everything that these people in these four families have to do, it's like, why the fuck are you, are you not who you claim to be? Why the fuck do you care about these other three families? I, it's just, the whole story here, it's just so laughable. And, and it's only laughable once you get the major reveal of the movie. There's, like, a minor reveal and a major reveal. Like I said, the minor one is pretty much given out, given away in the trailer. And then there's like a major one that, well, major in that the filmmakers were hoping it would be a major plot twist. The rest of us just kind of let out a groan when it happened. I mean, I literally, I mean, you guys see the title of our uh, chat right now, right? Mm-hmm. I literally said that out loud in the theater. I pissed off a 20-something-year-old girl that was sitting next to me. I literally, when we got the reveal, out loud said, are you fucking kidding me? And she like, she didn't shush me, but she kind of looked over and you know, wasn't real happy. And I almost walked out. My friends, if I was not a podcaster, I would have walked out right there. But I got a powered through, so, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, if it's the part I, I think it is, I don't. I didn't blame you. I, I was... <laughs> I, I, knowing you the way I do, I'm guessing where... I'm going to guess where it is. 
Oh, God. I mean, it's the ultimate reveal. It's the yeah. reveal. Like, once he says who he is, it's like, ah, ah. <laughs> I'm like, what year is this? Really? Okay. Rock on. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've been ambiguous enough. What do you say, guys? Get into the spoilers and get through this fucker? Yeah, <laughs> yeah ex- okay. ex- except for this episode, I spoiling might take on a whole new... Uh, Meaning, because uh, ah! I feel like the so movie itself has been spoiled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, so uh, our movie opens. Uh, we see a woman uh, kind of running around a gothic mansion. You know, a young. she looks young, you know, beautiful young woman, uh, European-looking. Uh, we're not sure. Obviously, there's no context. She's running around this uh, mansion. She's obviously hiding from someone. We hear voices in the background saying, she's out, she's out, where'd she go, blah, blah, blah. Finally, what we see is she grabs some kind of, like, power cable or electrical cable from, like, a lamp or something, um, wraps it around her neck, wraps it around the banister, grabs a bust, uh, you know, one of those, like, ivory busts that rich people have, and jumps off the ledge, of course, instantly killing her. Then we go to our title card. So, you know, that's our cold open kind of set up. It sets up the house, at least, if anything. Uh, Once the movie opens, we are... Actually, I forget where this movie takes place, the first part of it. I don't know if it's New York. It's got to be some metropolis, but I totally forgot. So we're introduced to Evie. She is, of course, played by Natalie Emmanuel, who played Miss Day on Game of Thrones. Um, she is a struggling artist. We see her, you know, um, she does ceramics. Don't call it pottery because that pisses her off, apparently. Uh, she does ceramics, and, you know, we see her try to make a couple of things but fail, And, you know, we see a pile of bills on a table, things like that. Um, Her mother recently died, and she has a conversation with her friend Grace um, talking about, you know, my mother's dead. I never knew my father. Um, I have no one left in my family. You know, I have no one left that I can call family. So Grace, her friend, in her infinite wisdom, decides to, you know, suggest, why don't you do a uh, DNA test, one of those DNA tests, you know, the, like 23andMe or Ancestry.com, whatever. Of course, she sends in her DNA, and literally, it, at least it felt like in the movie, literally the same day she gets an email from someone named Oliver. Um, basically, as as uh, as Evie puts it, the whitest man in the world. And uh, he just, you know, he says he claims to be her cousin, says, you know, oh, I, I had no idea that you existed. Why don't we get together? I just happen to be in New York. Um, you know, he is English. He's from the UK, but uh, he, he's, he happens to be in New York for business, happens to be in New York for business. Remember that. Um, and they get together. They end up getting together for lunch. Um, Oliver starts talking about all the different people in their family, like, oh, uncle, this and aunt, this are, you know, very excited to meet you someday, blah, blah, blah. And then he mentions that there's a wedding coming up. He said, well, there's a wedding and it's actually, we're actually partially using it as a family reunion. So why don't you come out? Of course, she says, oh no, I couldn't possibly afford to fly to England right now. Oliver, of course, says, oh no, no, it's on, it's on me. It's my tree. I know my family would be incredibly happy to meet you. She reluctantly agrees, and off we go to the U.K. Once she lands, uh, she is taken, taken to this beautiful mansion. As I mentioned earlier, it's got, it's got like a cool part Victorian, part modern look to the outside. I'm sure there's an actual name for this kind of architecture, but it, it, 
I, I'm not smart enough to know. So it's just a really nice looking mansion. Let's go with that. On the inside, it actually looks older. It actually looks like even more like a Victorian mansion than it did on the outside. Um, she obviously, you know, has an interaction with Oliver. She ends up accidentally backing into one of the help, uh, one of the maids who's carrying in some wine glasses. We notice that all the maids are numbered. There are five of them, and they have literally numbers one through five on their uniforms, like right on the collar of their uniforms. Um, you know, so that's something to think about. <clears throat> uh, so, like I said, she ends up bumping into this uh, maid. The maid ends up dropping all these uh, glasses. She apologizes instantly, instantly, instantly. And then Sean Pertwee's character, Mr. Fields, shows up to admonish um, the maid, of course, because, of course, he thinks that it's her fault. Uh, Evie instantly defends her, says, no, 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 it was my fault, 100% my fault, absolutely was not hers, blah, blah, blah. And then I forget the exact exchange between uh, Sean and um, Evie's, well, Sean's character, Mr. Fields, and Evie. He says something, and I don't remember exactly what it was, that kind of sets her off. But then Lord Walter shows up, and at this point, she doesn't know that this is the guy that she's actually coming to see. Um, he's actually the owner of the house. He is the head of the DeMille family in, of London. And once he once Oliver points out, oh, oh, this is actually Lord Walter. Uh, he's the owner of the house. She instantly kind of changes her tone and, hmm. you know, tells, you know, tells him that, hey, your your buddy there, your butler or whatever, doesn't need to treat the staff like that. You know, blah, 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 blah. You know, being a, you know, a fairly woke American, I hate using the term, but we're in the UK, so I'm going to go with it. Um, after meeting Lord Walter, of course, the inevitable happens. They end up getting a little bit, you know, um, into each other. It's a slow progression. It's not like literally that night they're in bed together. But it, it, I think the second night, because she was only planning on being there three days, from what I understand, because uh, her itinerary that she received earlier in the film had three days on it. So... <clears throat> So, like I said, they end up getting together, blah, blah, blah. They end up, uh, you know, having sex. Now, before all of this happens, obviously, we're getting the stranger in a strange land treatment. Uh, we're introduced to Victoria and uh, who's the girl? Uh, Emmeline. Emmeline and Victoria. These are two women who are members of uh, two of the other families. Now, I forgot to mention that when... Evie first arrives, she's explained that these are that there's four families here, and these are like the four most powerful families in the UK have gotten together to, to see these two people get married and kind of strengthen the bond between these families, blah, blah, blah. Um, so anyway, like I said, Victoria and uh, Emmy or Emma are both, um, you know, members of the family. Victoria is a little bit older. She looks like she might be in her 30s and 40s, but she obviously looks like a trophy wife. You know what I mean? Like the perfect 10 body, the big collagen lips, the big blue eyes, long black hair. You know, she's just your um, kind of uh, older debutante, if you will. And then Emmy is uh, Emma's a little bit younger, you know, a little blonde, cute girl. She's very friendly to Evie, wants to be friends with her, everything else. Um, Evie seems to be the only one who's really like reaching out to her other than Walter, you know, in a romantic way. But Emma, obviously, is it's more about friendship and just getting to know her. We have various scenes that are very cryptic and ambiguous where 
Um, you know, they start talking about in one scene at a in a pool scene, Victoria actually asks Evie, so what has Walter told you about our family? And instantly, like one of the manicurists that's working on their on um, Evie's nails, like flinches when Victoria asks that question and cuts partially cuts um, Evie's nail, you know, the uh, the na- the hairdresser nail person whatever you want to call him nail technician uh, apologizes you know immensely again Evie is like no 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 it's my fault I I twitched you know I flinched or whatever it's not your fault blah 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 um, her and Victoria have a little back and forth kind of a little bitchy back and forth and you know Evie just ends up walking out Walter provides her with a dress to wear for dinner that night which obviously she's very thankful for it's a beautiful dress looks good on her blah blah blah. They end up, you know, having like a preliminary dinner where she meets the rest of the family. Everybody is very welcoming. Like in in a group setting, everybody treats Evie great. But when Victoria is alone with Evie, you know, that's when the bitch comes out. And, you know, like I said, she just comes off as like um, an older member of the family that doesn't like this newer person kind of coming in. Uh, Like I said, I didn't really get race vibes out of it so much as just she's looking down at this poor artist who has nothing, who's bringing nothing to the family, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, more scenes. Um, One of the maids ends up getting taken out in a library. When Evie first arrives at the mansion, she's told every room in the house is at your disposal. You can walk around freely except the library because it's being renovated. Later on, we find out the library is not being renovated, and we see Mr. Field send one of his um, maids over to clean the library, unlocks it for her, lets her lets her into the library, and then locks the door behind her. That's not fucking creepy as shit. And of course, while the maid is in there, she does end up getting attacked by something. We don't really see what. We just see like a shadowy, cloaked figure kind of grab her, uh, you know, and and drag her into the darkness, and that's kind of the last we see of that maid. Um, We get another couple of scenes like that where, you know, people are being attacked, or uh, we see a couple of maids go to get a bottle of wine out of the wine cellar. They're taken out in that scene, I believe. Yeah, I think they're taken out in that scene because, once again, Mr. Fields asks them for a particular bottle of wine, sends them down to the wine cellar, and then locks the door behind them as they're going down the stairs. And when they, they actually do end up finding the exact bottle of wine that they asked for, but that particular bottle is way in the back of the wine rack, and it's hard to get out. It's, like, stuck. And, of course, you, know, you get the inevitable scene of the maid sticking her arm in there to get... Um, to get the wine bottle out. She's attacked by something. Her arm is grabbed while the other maid who's with her ends up getting attacked uh, from behind once again by the cloaked figure that we saw earlier. So obviously there's a little bit of a mystery here. As I said, I never watched the trailer. So at this point, I'm still on board for the movie. I mean, we're still in the first act solidly at this point. Next. Um, uh, let's just move on to Evie and Walter eventually end up in, in the sack. They end up uh, sleeping together. Uh, I believe it's either the second night or the third morning, because I could swear the sun was out when they had sex. Um, anyway, I only watched this movie once, folks. I know I, I like to watch movies twice, even if they're theatrical releases, but I was not going to sit through this movie a second time. So if I forget anything, I apologize. Um, Walter and Evie end up having sex and Walter jokingly asks her, you know, oh, oh, you should get married or, you know, you, you should marry me or, or something along the lines of since we're, there's already a wedding going on, we should just go ahead and tie the knot. Something silly like that. Like just 
Evie was under the impression that she was, that he was joking around and, and also joking around. Evie's like, yeah, sure. Okay, let's do it. And then as Walter is walking out of the room, Evie says, you do know I was joking, right? And Walter just kind of turns around and smiles at her and walks out of the room. Very cryptic. Ha ha. Hmm. I, I, I bet you were totally fooled and didn't know what was coming oh, no. after that. I had, oh, I, I, was, I was so surprised. I was like, anyway. she, said, she said she's kidding. We're going to move on from this wedding thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <sighs> oh, my God. Anyway. Uh, after that, we finally get to our big reveal scene where it, it is a dinner party. It's the dinner party before the wedding, the night before the wedding. Now, mind you, throughout this film, Evie has been asking, where's the bride and groom? Where's the bride and groom? No, you know, and everybody's like, oh, the bride and groom will be revealed tomorrow night. Literally, those were people's exact words. They'll be revealed tomorrow. Which, you know, instantly as a horror fan, it's got you, you know, thinking red bulb, red light bulbs going off. So Evie gets this beautiful red dress from Walter, another dress that he provides for her. And then she goes down to this um, dinner party. It's a, it's a fancy party. Everybody's overly dressed. It looks like eyes wide shut, except everybody's still clothed because everybody has those masks on. Not everybody, almost everybody, like the patriarch of the family, uncle, whatever. Um, he had an eye patch, so he actually didn't wear a mask at the table. But everybody else wore those like Victorian style masks and everything. And then, you know, he's talking about, you know, oh, tomorrow's going to be a beautiful wedding and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Evie's still kind of just enjoying herself, drinking wine. And then and then that's when Walter announces Evie has agreed to marry me. Everybody in the room applauds. And Evie is like, what the fuck? Like, it's just looking at him like, I did not say that whatsoever. And then Walter just goes, let's have a toast. And instantly, right when he says that, one of the male servants grabs one of the maids who's basically serving food to the people at the table, literally grabs her from behind, slices her throat open, slits her throat, slices her throat. Sorry, I got a hiccup there. Um, Slices her throat open, collects all the blood in a punch bowl, and then start serving glasses of it to people at the table. At this point now, people start smiling, and you see the fangs. Yes, my friends, we have a vampire movie. That, I think, most people who saw the trailer probably figured out. Aristocratic, you know, welcoming a stranger for a very, very odd reason, and boom, they're vampires. But why does this vampire, Lord Walter, want to marry Evie specifically, and why does it have to be you know, tomorrow before, you know, whatever, before midnight uh, on the next day. What ends up, ter- what it turns out to be is our boy Walter is fucking Dracula. Yes, my friends, I fucking said it. He claims to be Dracula. He claims to be an almost 600-year-old vampire who apparently looks like a 20-year-old aristocrat uh, GQ model. Um, which, you know, already I'm turned off. Not that I have a problem with the sexy vampire, but most vampire lore that, you know, most of vampire films and books that we've all consumed, vampires generally tend to two things. Generally, they get to be more powerful as they get older, and they also start to kind of met, um, change into a more creature, uh, more of a creature looking, almost like a Strigoi. Like uh, we were talking about Strigois a couple of weeks ago, and they actually mentioned Strigoi in this movie. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, this guy looks like he's fucking 22. He's an absolute hmm. hunk. And he's claiming to fucking be Dracula. 
So instantly, that's when I, like I said, folks, that's when I out loud in the theater said, are you fucking kidding me? And literally the girl next to me got pissed off. I don't care. It was one of the, it is easily the most ridiculous reveal of the year. The did, far did she say anything or did she just shoot you a look? No, I thought she was going to shush me, but she didn't even shush me. She just kind of looked over and gave me a nasty look and then went back to the movie. <laughs> I, it's not like I was talking through the whole movie. That was it. It was just that line. I, I'm a very respectful movie viewer, folks. I, I don't say a goddamn word. My phone is off. Very respectful, but when that twist happened, I'm sorry. I couldn't keep it in. I just, I had to open it out. So, yeah, there you go. He's fucking Dracula. And the whole point of this wedding is that Dracula, uh, Walter, I'm not going to fucking call him Dracula. I'm calling him Walter. Uh, Walter has to be married to a member of each of the other three families. So, as it turns out, Victoria is actually his first wife, and she's over 500 years old. Emma is his second wife, and she's over 100 years old, according to what she says. Or she says that she's been with him for over 100 years, so, obviously. And she looks like she's, like, 20, 25, maybe. So she's probably at least 125, 130 years old. Victoria, you know, probably, like, you know, 530, 540, whatever the case may be. But, yeah. uh, And then Evelyn, or Evie, excuse me, Evie is... um, she is the only female in her family, and you know she's the, that's the third family that Dracula must marry a uh, one of the females from. They actually the whole family thought there were no females because they were all. It seemed like they were all cursed to have males. Like mm-hmm. it's literally a room full of men when she first meets her family, and um, so when they find out that there actually is a female uh, in, in you know out in the world, of course they got to get her there and why does he need to marry one member of each of the other three families to grant immortality to all four families my friends this is fucking dracula what the fuck does he care about politics what the fuck does he care about keeping all these people around him he's fucking dracula he's the oldest vampire on the planet he should be he should have godlike powers and he does not he doesn't fly he doesn't transform He's the most boring version. He's not the worst Dracula ever, but he's the most boring Dracula ever. That I absolutely will stand by. Uh, so yeah, so he has to fucking marry. He has to marry Evie so that he can have, so that everyone involved can be, you know, can be granted immortality. Okay, so obviously comes the day of the wedding. Evie is of course being forced into this, and that's another thing too is that again, Dracula. Over 600 years old, yet he can't uh, hypnotize uh, Evelyn. He can't hypnotize. Yeah, him. and it's that was weird. That was one of my <laughs> issues with the movie. Is if 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 we if it was revealed like somewhere in the second or third act that he was actually using some type of you know classic Dracula persuasion powers, and that's why she was willing to move so fast with everything. I could understand it, but it's like they just almost play. Yeah, well, exactly. I I think that too because yeah, it would it would flex. It would show Dracula actually flexing some power, but the way the movie is written, it's like no, she's just wooed by everything within a day. Like she moves every decision she makes. It doesn't take much convincing of anything. Now maybe. They're trying to play it like, well, she's a struggling artist and she doesn't have a foundation, so she's willing to do things on the fly. But, like, once she gets overseas and she's just, like, agreeing to everything and talked into everything so easy, I'm just like, what? 
it kind of goes against her character because they set her up to be like a kind of an independent, worldly girl. She lives by herself in a studio. She's doing her art. She has a full-time job at some kind of restaurant or eatery. I forget what. But um, they, they definitely don't set her up to be the kind of person that's just going to go along with things. You know, she seems like she would be strong, be able to say no, be able to avoid stuff. Like, her even agreeing to go to England was a shock because we already know that she has all these money problems and she's she hasn't made an art piece in a while. So it's like you'd think she'd want to stay, make some money, pay the rent, and then maybe run off to England. But no, no, she fucking just accepts it. Granted, after some goading, but still. So, again, they set the character up to be one thing. And then once she gets to England, she's just another character altogether, which is really weird. So anyway, it is now the night of the wedding. Uh, Dracula is, or <laughs> again, Walter is pre- doing his final preparations, and we see Evie get walked down the aisle by the, the patriarch of the family, Uncle whatever, I forget what his damn name was. Oh, and I forgot to mention uh, just some of the more silly aspects of the movie. Uh, at one point, Evie does actually escape the mansion. She actually gets out with the help of a uh, one of the uh, one of the older maids, one of the housekeepers in the place. Uh, her name was Mrs. Swift. Uh, she she basically tells Evie flat out, "Do not stop running until you're on a plane out of England." Let me repeat that, folks. Do not stop running until you're on a plane out of England. Three guesses as to what fucking Evie does. She runs to the nearest fucking village, finds the first house with lights on, and knocks on the door trying to ask for help, hoping that they would call the police. As the the, the older man is on the is um on the phone with the police, we hear him say, "Hello, this is Mr. Harker." Sound familiar? <laughs> and then the wife gets on the phone with the cops and says, Hi, this is Mina Harker. It's fucking Mina and Jonathan from the original story, and now somehow they work for Dracula. So apparently he got what he wanted. He got Mina and Jonathan, and now they're, you know... Because obviously the story of the original book, you know, he buys all the property in England so that he can go out there, find his love, blah, 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 blah. So apparently, you know, 600 years later, Dracula, well, not 600 years, but I, I think the original Dracula was like late 1800s, like 1880s, somewhere in that I range. Think so con- I think it was contemporary, but it's been a while since I've read it. It, it was still the 1800s. Cause, yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. Is that I, know, I, I, I think it was a Parker, con- You know, has to stage coach. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I think it was a contemporary story, so like 1880s, 1890s. Right, exactly, yeah. So figure 1880s, 1890s, so Dracula's been in England for, what, like 150 years, 140 years, and has not found his love yet, or at least, as it turns out, the woman that committed suicide in the cold open actually was the last female, or one of the last females of this family. Um, her mom wasn't a part of this family, you know, her real father was who I guess we never actually find out who her real father is, but her mother basically isn't a member of the family. So obviously she wasn't eligible for Dracula to marry her and complete the ceremony, blah, blah, blah. So, so there you go. Just more stupidness with the Harkers and man, like I said, I was expecting Van Helsing and Renfield to show up. Like I was actually expecting Evie to bust out with, oh yeah, (laughs) guess what I have in my DNA? 
Van Helsing. And I'm like, ah, oh, no, don't do it. Don't do it. What, what we do in the shadows already did it better. Don't do it. Yeah, do, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Did you think that they could be any less coy with the drink your tea? Don't you want to drink your tea? Don't forget to drink your tea. Oh, you should have some of that tea. I'm like, okay, we get it. We get it already. The tea is uh, has a sedative in it or something. Stop asking her to drink the tea. And, and, <laughs> exactly. And then she's able to she's able to throw the tea in Jonathan Harker's face but then turns around and here's this old decrepit woman who's probably a couple hundred years old hits her with a with a with like a a piece of pottery or a bust or a statue or something like that and actually gets the best of her i'm like are you fucking kidding me evie you couldn't get the better of two elderly fucking people because it's not like they were moving like ninjas they were moving like random old people um, whether they were actually vampires or not, I don't know if that was ever revealed to us, though. If we're to expect that this is the actual Jonathan and Mina Harker, then, yeah, I guess we can just assume that they're vampires, even though we don't – I don't think they ever showed them with teeth. They are at the ceremony at the end of the movie, but I'm also not convinced that everyone in the house is a vampire because we see a lot of them you know, walking around during the day, flying, even getting wet at one point, so, you know. And obviously the rules don't always apply because Walter uh, is, is still seen. I mean, the first scene that we meet him in, it, it's out in the open, sunlight, blah, blah, blah. So he actually even, there is a, even a throwaway line in here somewhere where Walter says, you know, not all the stories from books and movies are real, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, it is the day of the wedding. And um, Evie, obviously, she's in her white, beautiful white dress. She's walked down the aisle by the patriarch of the family. Walter is waiting at the altar. Waiting's Walter's waiting at the altar. I like that. Anyway, they get to they get to the altar. There's this fucking dark priest standing up there with a mask on and black robe. You know, very gothic, or at least attempting to be. And you know, he's going through the vows. You know, he asks uh, Walter, "Do you take this woman?" Blah 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 blah. He says yes. He asks the same question to uh, to Evie, and Evie, you know, just kind of freezes for a second doesn't say anything and then she pulls out a kind of a it, it was a statue it was the pedestal of a statue that she had actually broken early evie's very clumsy and they actually do make a point uh grace makes the point that she actually is kind of clumsy so um earlier in the movie she had broken like a statue or a bust in her room and it turned out that the pedestal had like a a big staff or blade or something sticking out of it. Basically, you know, where they balanced the, the clay when they first made the sculpture. Um, you have to have some kind of frame in there, blah, blah, blah. So um, just as the dark priest asks her if she, you know, if she does, she says no. She pulls out that um, base of that statue and stabs Dracula in the heart. And Dracula doesn't die necessarily, but we do start to see him, his, his flesh gets grayer. We see the wrinkles start to set in. His hair starts turning white, blah, blah, blah. So it definitely seems like he's on his way out. Evie then starts a fire in the altar. She basically knocks over all the candles that are at the altar, and a fire starts at the you know in the ceremony. Uh, people are scattering, you know, trying to get out of the building. Evie also tries to make her escape. At one point, she's uh, stopped by Mr. Fields, Sean Porty. And, yeah, I'm very upset about this movie because it's like I hate when movies set up characters to be mild badasses, but then they get beaten so quickly. I mean, this guy who's been working for vampires for Lord knows how long, probably is a familiar, 
and he gets taken out by a woman that, oh, God, I, I, I missed a major plot point. Um, right before they do the vows, um, Evie does actually drink the blood of Dracula. Um, the whole point is that, you know, Evie is to become a vampire to be his vampire bride, obviously. Um, he, she does eventually, uh, willingly even, drink a lot of his blood. And what's funny is that she purposely drinks more than she has to. She's like holding on to his arm for dear life and just sucking and sucking and sucking. And her, I, I'm assuming her plan was to tire Dracula out, which actually works. You see, you see Walter is like physically, you know, fatigued. He's down on one knee. You know, he's, he's got a smile on his face because he thinks Evie is a willing partner. And uh, that's when Evie basically turns on him, stabs him with that uh, post, uh, frees the last maid left alive that's basically tied up at the altar. I'm assuming that was supposed to be Evie's first meal, but um, obviously she lets the girl go. And yes, Evie does transform into a vampire. We, we see her go through the change. We see Walter's blood kind of going through her veins, you know, like on, on, her, on her skin surface. And then we see her eyes change color. We see the fangs come in and boom, Evie is a vampire. I, even though Evie's a vampire, I don't like that she took out Mr. Fields that quickly. Because, like I said, he was he kind of was set up to be like kind of a badass, almost like you know, mm-hmm. kind of like in Fright Night, uh, the the guy that Jerry Dandridge had as his familiar, you know, kind of like the badass helper, if you will. And she ends up taking him out in one move. Literally, uh, Mr. Fields gets one of those halberds, one of those long staffs, and he's he's basically trying to stab her with it and keeping distance at the same time. Evie, all Evie does is she breaks the head off the halberd, does a little spin move, and then buries it in his chest, neck. I don't know exactly what the point of contact well, was, but... And then it, that's it. It kind of it kind of brings me back to, like, the finale of Antlers. And I know, even though I liked the movie more than you guys did, that was, like, one of my big issues with the end of Antlers is how easily the main Wendigo thing was dispatched for no good like there was no excuse for it to go down like that I mean I, I assumed that would happen but like with such ease and like lack of effort I think this one was probably even a worse case of that be just be given the situation but I'm just like man like it just feels like, and I think, uh, I can't remember if it was a, uh, I think it was in one of our chats where I was just like, it just wraps up too neatly, like too, there's, I don't really feel like the main character goes through that much adversity other than a couple of times, you know, when she tries her initial escape, she gets caught and brought back. But other than that, it's like every step of the way, she just makes it out of every, every situation so clean and like everyone who you think, once this conflict happens, everyone you think is going to end up dead ends up dead. She's safe, all good, and then it's just there's nothing, nothing mysterious about this movie at all. I guess. No, not at all. All right, so yeah, it's Darth Maul all over again. George Lucas spends two hours setting up this badass Darth Maul just for him to get killed by a move that a junior swordsman should be able to block. But, again, Mm -hmm. suspension of disbelief, so whatever. Um, After Evie takes out Mr. Fields, she is then confronted by Victoria and Emma, of course. And remember last week, folks, when I said we saw 
probably the best girl-on-girl fight in a horror movie of the year. Well, we now have a candidate for the worst (laughs) girl-on-girl fight in a horror movie, because this is just the most stupid, trivial, boring fucking fight. Obviously, they both have claws. You know, Victoria has claws. Um, Evelyn has her new claws that she's just got because she just became a vampire. So they, you know, they're going at it. Emma still is defending Evie. Emma still wants to help Evie, you know, um, help her escape or help her do whatever she wants. And, of course, uh, Emma basically comes to her defense, starts attacking Victoria. At one point, they have, like, a little bit of a standoff where they're pushing. They're trying to push each other, but it's kind of a standoff. And then Emma ends up just forcefully pushing both of them into like a like a, a sharp point that's sticking out of a statue. Like there's a statue of a knight there with like one of those, um, the whatever the thing they use for a ja- not javelin, uh, the 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 battle thing. I can't fucking think of it. But anyway, um, the joust. That's what I'm thinking of. The joust. Um, basically, there's a statue there of a knight, and his weapon for the joust is kind of sticking out from the base. So literally, Emma just pushes Victoria and herself into this thing killing them both by the way apparently in this universe you don't have to stake a vampire in the heart because these two get impaled in their bellies in their stomachs their midsections nowhere near their heart yet both of them instantly turn to ash (laughs) as soon as they die so you know more more broken vampire rules even though even in the movie they say you know you got to stake them burn them or you know decapitate them only way to take them out um but apparently you can stake them in the leg and they're probably dead too. So I don't know. The fucking weakest vampires ever, weakest Dracula ever. Um, after taking out Victoria and Emma, Evie's figuring that she's about to walk out of the house. And of course our boy Walter comes mm-hmm. back. He's now, you know, he's obviously very decrepit looking, but he still has enough power to grab Evie by the neck, hold her up in the air with one arm and basically say, you know, it was a nice attempt, but, you're obviously going to fail. Nothing can kill me. I am immortal. You know, the, the usual vampire crap. And um, Evie, you know, she's she's able to she actually grabbed a garrot. Uh, you, you guys know the, the garrot wire, basically that wire that like mafia guys will use to decapitate other guys because, you know, you can do it really fast. Uh, she ends up pulling out the garrot and basically cutting off Walter's arm with it. Uh, the arm that he's holding her up with, obviously. So uh, when his arm sli- is sliced off completely, obviously Evie falls to the ground. She catches her breath. Uh, you know, Dracula says some other you know comment about this. You know, this still isn't going to help you. Blah blah blah. And vamp, uh, excuse me, Walter goes in for one final attack, and Evie is able to do a fucking UFC double kick move and <laughs> kick him right into a uh, pyre. Um, you know, a fire uh, that's basically burning behind him. And then we see uh, Walter and the house from outside basically all just engulfed in flame. Um, We do see that some people were able to get out of the house, but at least Victoria, Emma, uh, and Walter slash Dracula are gone. Oh, and Mr. Field. So at least the main players of the DeMille family are now dispatched. Um, And then we get an epitaph to the film. And what that is, is we see Evie and Grace. Uh, apparently Evie called Grace, told her everything that happened. Grace promptly flew out to the UK, 
um, for them to get their revenge on Oliver, because uh, don't forget, Cousin Oliver, the guy that started all this, is not a vampire. Once again, probably a familiar, even though they, they don't use that exact word in the movie. Um, but he is very human, and we see him basically going to his office. And while he's in his office, he has a phone call with someone, and he's talking about, okay, yeah, I've made all the arrangements. We've got to get out of the country today, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, they're, obviously they're all worried about, you know, the news getting out or if Evie did survive, what she might tell the authorities, blah, blah, blah. Um, but what ends up happening is Evie and Grace are standing outside of his office and it literally looks like they're just about to go in there and beat the shit out of them. Uh, as they're walking towards the, the building, Grace pulls out a bat and then she makes a joke. Uh, you know, get it? Bat. Vampire. Okay. I'm going to beat a vampire with a bat. And then the fucking movie ends literally on the worst joke in the whole movie. I mean, until that joke, I was, I was you know, medium on the movie, but I was like, well, I can't be bad at it now. God, how fucking yeah. awful. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And that's it, folks. That is the invitation 2022. Hopefully none of you will watch it. If you've if you've already watched it, I'm sorry. If you're still with us and you haven't watched it, then trust me, I told you everything that you need to know about the movie in my walkthrough. It's just not worth watching. Ultimately, I would just watch Twilight. And watch just watch Twilight and Ready or Not at the same time. Oh, <laughs> and you know what? I heard people comparing this movie to Ready or Not. Ready or not, fuck that. Ready or not is a legitimately fun, charming movie that is very with an incredibly satisfying ending. This movie is at no point ready or not. Like, I just I understand the comparison when people see the trailer. They're like, oh yeah, she's invited to a family, you know, to a family that she's not real familiar with. Blah 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 blah. You know, so I, I can see why people might have thought it. But once you watch the movie, this has zero similarities with Ready or Not. I, I would rather watch Ready or Not a thousand times again before I watch this. I actually like Ready or Not. Um, I love, I loved it so. Yeah, yeah, I love that ending. Like I said, a, when a movie gives me a satisfying ending, like Ready or Not, I am on board, my friend. Yeah, that it did something does. you didn't expect, you know, or not a hundred percent, you know. Um, I mean, it, I didn't expect that ending. I don't think anybody expected that ending of Ready or Not. I mean, that was nuts. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it kind of came out of left field, and it was it, it was just a fun movie overall too. But it capped it off with that ending, and it didn't. The thing is, it's like that was a fun movie even without the ending, and it that just yes. kind of put it over the top. Yep. Absolutely, this movie. I'm sorry, folks, but aside from its aesthetic, this movie just doesn't have a whole lot of positives. Like I said. Natalie Emanuel is she's good in everything she does. This is no exception. She's still good in this, but and Sean Purdy Pertwee obviously is great in everything he does. Thomas Doherty as Walter slash Dracula. He I had like from the first scene he was in, I had an issue with his acting. It just felt so and and I guess that might actually fit the character that the acting at the beginning was so fake and very obviously disingenuous and everything else. Like, I, I guess that could go with the character. But, you know, you're, you're trying to convince an audience that, you know, some, obviously something's going to happen, but you're trying to swerve them so that they're not getting exactly what they think. Because anytime I see a trailer for a movie like this, I always assume vampires are cannibals. Vampires are cannibals. Which is it? Uh, we have the cannibal club that 
me and Mike loved out of Brazil a few years ago. You know, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the same thing. You know, stranger in a strange land, welcomed into a new family. Um, but yeah, this movie, there's just to me, there's nothing fun about it. There's nothing redeeming. Um, I don't. I'm not happy that I had to go to the theater to see this. Uh, and an hour and 45 minutes, uh, you could have told this story in an hour and 20 and hell, it might've actually been better. Just cut out some of the treacle that we get in the second act and some that we get in the third act as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm sorry, folks, just not a lot of redeeming qualities here. So ultimately I cannot recommend the invitation. Yeah. yeah I'm not much, I'm not much higher. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Alright, so this episode is invited to end now, but before we do that, uh, we're going to go around and see what we have released for people to listen to. So, Venom, take it away. Alright, so uh, Creature Comforts uh, Episode 12 is going to be recorded in one day's time. As of right now, we're planning to record tomorrow. Um, unfortunately, I won't get the episode out before the end of August, so our August episode will be out in September sometime. Our anniversary episode will have to be a couple of weeks late, but I'll get that out as soon as we can. That will be a Fantasia, a Fantasia Fest special where we look at three movies that played during Fantasia Fest that we were all able to watch. And we're going to give you some general, you know, spoiler-free, very ambiguous thoughts about the film, because I'm not even sure if these films have an American release date yet, so I'm sure they're still under embargo for reviews, so um, I'm sure... Since the festival's over, I think we're fine. Awesome. Even better. That's that's good. All right, so yeah, like I said, that'll be episode 12. Um, the main show, No More Room in Hell, um, will get... Rec- uh, fingers crossed, it'll get recorded in the next week to 10 days, Um yeah, you know, our our co-host, Mike and I's co-host on that show has kind of a weird schedule. So uh, I know he's changing schedules in September. So fingers crossed we'll be able to get this episode finally recorded because I don't think we've actually done an episode in August for the main show. That's upsetting. So, yeah, hopefully we'll take care of that this week or next week. Excuse me, next week sometime. And uh, let's see, Mike and I also recorded our very first episode of No More Room in Hell Presents the Crystal Lake Gift Shop. And that is our episode-by-episode retrospective of the Friday the 13th series, which aired in 1987 and 1990. We finally recorded our first episode with guest Doug Tilly, a veteran of Theme Warriors with Mike and myself. Had actually a really fun time talking about episode one of the series. Um, that'll be out probably in the next week or two. Um, probably right around the same time that Creature Comforts is out. So check out for both of those. They will both be available on the No More Room in Hell feed. And uh, what else we got? I think that's it. Right? Yeah. And then Mike has one other show, but I'll let him talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Don, how about you? Or not. Oh. I think he's still muted, so... <laughs> Go ahead, Don. Let everyone know where, what you got. Yeah, uh, as mentioned, uh, Creature Comforts, the uh, Fantasia special, uh, which should be a lot of fun. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, latest episode of Horror Countdown. I had a, a friend of mine on. We looked at our favorite hardcore horror films, or... Um, Extreme uh, should be the uh, more proper, appropriate title for that. Um, and then, of course, the uh, guest spot on uh, the nightclub, which uh, was so much fun. We looked at uh, Sharknado, 
sort of a belated Shark Week thing, but uh, yeah, all of that was out and uh, should be available. It's uh, two words, so it's a uh, Knights Club. Uh, pretty yeah, should be pretty easy to find if you look at it that way instead of uh, you know combining the words like a lot of people do. But yeah, uh, other than that, uh, not much else for me. Okay, and uh, the only thing I got that wasn't mentioned by Venom was my other sidecast, Watch This Movie Mike, which currently has three episodes out, the latest with guest Brian Sammons. Uh, we talk Friday the 13th, Part 4, the final chapter, after I do a little Q&A with him to open the show, as well as a movie recommendation, which I- I've kind of like decided... That's how I'll probably open each episode. I, I think the first episode, I did it by chance, because I was like, if I'm going to do something solo for the first ten minutes, what can it be? And I did a movie recommendation, and I'm just kind of stuck with it. So as long as I have something to recommend, but I think there'll be something I've seen that I'll recommend to people. Um, so check that out. They are on the Normal Room in Hell YouTube channel, as well as Dark Discussions network so everything can be found there and uh venom i think next is barbarian isn't it yes sir barbarian opens this coming friday sweet well with that said thank you everybody for listening to fresh cuts i think this might be i'm trying to think this this is the first episode in a good amount that all three of us have disliked the movie I think at least to this extent <laughs> so uh, yeah. take that for what it's worth I mean if there's anyone out there that saw it and disagrees feel free to tell us why you liked it more than us because I want to say there's there's got to be an audience for this otherwise why is it in the theaters but I'm just not sure where the audience is to be found so uh, educate us on that and uh, we'll be all here <laughs> so that said, thanks everyone for listening. We will catch you on the next episode. Let's say bye to the listeners. Later. I'm going to go watch 30 Days a Night. <laughs> Peace. Oh, yes. I don't have to talk And just about so there's no confusion, Bar- Barbarian doesn't open this Friday. I just said that because this episode's coming out next week. So Yeah, that makes it actually total opens sense. On the night. Cool. I just want to make sure. Yeah, because when you, when you first said that, I was... I was wondering if somebody was going to correct me. <laughs> that's why I didn't reply, because for a split I second, just, I was like, yeah, wait I, a minute. And then I was like, oh, yeah, never I mind. I just didn't care. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said this Friday, and I was just hoping that nobody would correct me, because, like I said, since I know this is coming out next week, I figure, fuck it. Yeah, so I, tonight, later tonight, I'll actually be sending I, I the Orphan episode to Phil, and then in probably midweek, I'll send the other one. <laughs> I, I just didn't even care. I didn't even catch on that I repeated the same show that I was promoting. <laughs> oh, you know, there is there, there is something no, coming out this week, though. No, no, the heart, the Harbringer. That's what I'm saying. When I promoted, when we did Orphan last week, I promoted today's show, and then I, I totally forgot that this is next week, so I, I, I didn't even care. Uh, it happens. But yeah, Har- Harbringer is like... I think it's limited theatrical and VOD this week. So For what? The Harbringer? Harbringer? Uh, it's a Harbinger. horror movie. Harbinger. Harbinger, is it? I don't know. Uh, it said oh, September I 2nd. I, I think I know this one. Yeah, Lacey was talking about this one. I think it's screened at Fantasia. 
Mm-hmm. If it's yeah. the one I'm thinking of, it's by I... uh, it's uh, Colin Minihan, right? Uh, I haven't looked up. Uh, oh. It says directed by Will Klipstein and written by Will Klipstein. Is this the movie? Yeah, this is it. Horror, The Harbinger 2022, coming soon. Yeah, so this must be it. When a family moves their troubled daughter to a small town, their neighbors start mysteriously dying. I think it's the girl from Black Phone, the little girl. Is it Quinn? I think so. Let's see. I'm I'm on the page right now. Uh, Outcast. It kind of looks like her, but I haven't looked up the cast. Is it her? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. She's not the lead, but she. It looks like she's like the second, uh, second, you know, billing, if you will. Irene Bedford or Bedard. Irene Bedard. She plays a character named Floating Hawk <laughs> in the Harbinger, whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> it must be a Native American thing. Maybe, probably. That, I, I'd so have to guess. This drops this week. Yeah, it says Whoa, limited release. Too. Yeah, 21 reviews, but still, 9.2s. Hey, but 9.2 even after 21 reviews is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's like up there with, like, what, Godfather 2, like, <laughs> rating. So I expect it to fall eventually, but oh, yeah. um, it's it's listed as limited, which means you guys might see it down there in theaters, but outside of that, I'm not sure. But it's, it says VOD as well, so... Hopefully, usually with stuff like this, nudity is pretty good, um, as long as there's, like, a decent copy. So, I, I guess this could, yeah, I but guess it could be an alternate. No, no, we are. We're not going to be recording anything, but uh, I guess if we just I'll end up watch. watching it by chance. Especially if it's playing in theater. I'll yeah, I'll... Back and let you know. Well, yeah, because we're gonna have that all week off, so I imagine I'm gonna watch it just to watch it with a, exactly. with a week of not recording. If I, if I have two solid weeks of nothing to record, I, I, I yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get my 2022 numbers up. They're they're kind of low right now. Yeah, I uh, I took this Friday off to have like a four day weekend. So if Nudie happens to find a copy on Friday, I'll watch it that day, just depending how quick it shows up. Because usually if something officially releases on VOD, whatever resource he uses gets it there pretty quick. So we'll see. But I, I was just saying, on the off chance, like, we see Barbarian and it's terrible the following week, and we're like, what about that Harbinger movie? <laughs> but yeah. anyways, yeah, either way, we'll figure it out. No, I'm just saying. I think this is going to be the start when Shutter starts releasing all their stuff. That's so I think, too. so I think Shutter's got uh, the backup. There's like potential backups there too. And plus, Hulu is doing Hulu Huluween again this year, so that's going oh, to be nice. more stuff. I mean, granted, we don't really do a lot of the Hulu stuff, but if have they ever, good, have they announced it, or is that just actual like they're they're going to put more of a push on older stuff up there? That is what I tell you. Because I, I, I have Hulu, and when I when I log in, it says Huluween coming. That's so what I'm saying. Gonna, is that is that original fare, or is that just they're going to make more of an effort to put that stuff on the platform? I mean, I'm sure they'll have the shorts again. They'll probably have original shorts, because, I mean, the shorts, that a shitload of those get made every year. So yeah. uh, as far as features, I'm not sure. I haven't heard Yeah, because I haven't heard anything about that. Yep. All right, gentlemen. I'm I'm hungry. I'll talk yeah. to I guess so. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I'm sure we'll. Uh, I'm sure we'll be monitoring the chats, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let you both know when I'm done with your respective episodes, Crystal Lake and Creature Comforts. Obviously, Creature Comforts we're recording tomorrow, so um, I'll. Tr- I'm actually going to edit that one first. I started editing Crystal Lake last night, and I actually, Mike, I did find the entire Friday the Thirteenth the series suite, which is it, basically it's a, it's a it's a full four minute song. The first minute of the song is the intro that we all know and love. Uh-huh. The next two minutes of the song is all the incidental music from the series, like all the you know random music that plays throughout. And then the last minute of the song is the closing music. So I'm oh yeah forever. Speaking of that, I meant to ask you. So you, when you are editing, you're downloading from Skype, which makes it an MP4. And then what do you do? Convert it to MP3? No, uh, Audacity does it for me. But I mean, Audacity. Audacity. But like what? No, no, no. Audacity accepts. Uh, well, because I, I I downloaded an extra plugin when I first tried to use Audacity with YouTube to MP3. Uh-huh. Uh, it told me, you know, you're going to need to convert this. So instead of getting a converter, I downloaded a plugin for Audacity. So now when I click and drag any file in there, it accepts it. What do you? And then, uh, and then I can and then I can export it all as a wave. What do you? Level later, convert it to an MP4, that? and then that's when I send it. Oh, you send it as an MP4. To, to, to Philip. Yep. To Phil. Oh well, if you're okay, if it's an MP4, then you can send me that MP4 too, and I can do it so it can go on YouTube. It was just the one that you sent me that was the i whatever. That, it was the wave, uh, I think. Or it was the M. It was the Apple M4A. M4A that yeah, the I, I can't. Apple. Yeah, but if I anything was to a regular MP3, it's not a problem. Yeah, anything MP3 or MP4, send it, it to me. You know. right, yeah, that's fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. I mean, just like I said, I'm just saying, if you want to get everything we can up on YouTube, like part of the YouTube feed, well, I'm then. going to be sending you Crystal Lake gift shop anyway when I'm done with it for you to give it to Phil, um, just okay. so, so that he could. Because I don't have access to the to the main feed. I only have access to Creature Comforts. So, oh. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to you. I'm gonna send you the artwork, the episode description, and you can just upload it to the No More Room in Hell Dropbox. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll I'll probably have him create a new folder. If he like, could, that'd be awesome. Because I was having him use the old Theme Warriors folder for uh, Watch This Movie, Mike. And so I started to explain. I was like, you might want to change the name of the folder if it makes it easier for you to tell what shows and where. So I'll just, I'll tell him, hey, another, another new sidecast, so create another folder. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, guys. There'll be more. So. Yep. Right. Adios, folks. See you later. Later. later.